Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to each of you in the name of Jesus, the risen Lord. Amen. We're going to be looking through 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'd encourage you to open it up, to have it in front of you. We're really going to be diving into the story of God reconciling with David through the prophet Nathan. So it's on page 263. If you want to open it on your phone, you can do that as well. Um, before we dig into this text, I'm going to give you a little bit of the backstory of what's going on. Um, and as we look at this story, we're going to just try to glean some understanding about reconciling with God. What does that look like? What does it feel like? And what does it accomplish? And so we're going to kind of have seven ideas along the way as we read this story together, as we consider our own reconciliation with the living God as well. And so what's happening in the story is uh, David, uh, at the time when he should have gone out to war, the Bible says he should have been doing kingly things, expanding the boundaries of his kingdom, he sent his armies to go and he stayed home. And while he was home, he saw uh, the wife of Uriah. Uriah was one of his mighty champions, he was one of his inside men. He was one of his close companions, but David desired his wife. Her name was Bathsheba. And so he called her into his presence. And through that time, she became pregnant. And there was a baby to be born. And David was in trouble. And so he tried to cover that up. And so what he did was he called Uriah back from the front line and he, sent, he, he tried to send him home to be with his wife Bathsheba so that everything would be fine and dandy. But Uriah was a very honorable man and he refused to do this. And so even when the king sent him home, he slept on his own doorstep and he didn't go in to his wife because he said, all of my companions are out there in the field sleeping in tents. It's not right for me to go home and have rest and a break. And so he was too honorable. And so... When that failed, David eventually killed Uriah. And the way he did that was he told the military commanders to put Uriah in the front lines. And then when the fighting was fierce, they were to retreat. And so Uriah would be out exposed. And indeed that worked and he died. And David then, after Bathsheba mourned for her husband, took her to be his wife and brought her into his home. And it looked like he got away with it. It looked like he had pulled enough strings, called in enough favors, swung the power he had around enough so that he would not be caught for this out-and-out sin. And so here's the first lesson that we should think about tonight as we think about reconciliation with God. And the first one is this, God sees the heart. God sees the heart. In fact, it says just before our text for today that God saw what had happened and it displeased him. God sees the heart. And so the first thing when we think about our own reconciliation with God, our own repentance with God, 
the delusion in our minds says, I'll get away with it, right? It's just like clearing my browsing history, right? It's gone. It's just like uh, if I can just tell enough lies and get the spotlight off me and just move along, it'll be done. I can hold up a facade that everything's just fine all the while holding on to this guilt. And so the first thing we think of is, is that the way God is? Do we get to dupe God in this way? Of course not. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we are all naked before our God and must give an account to him. That there's no division, there's no hiding, there's no fig leaves as we come before God. Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses, says this, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And so these secret sins that we think no one else sees or knows about indeed are known, known by God. And so the logical thing to do would be to say, okay, I might as well come out with it. I might as well confess. I might as well uh, admit. But so often our behavior is the opposite. Our behavior is to hide. Our behavior is to try to cover up with some paper mache. Our behavior is to lie. But God sees the heart. And so right now you might consider, is there anything that you're trying to hide from God? Are there sins in your heart, in your mind, in your life that you think, I'm just going to get away with it. And this would be a good time to just let that delusion die. And just to know that God knows already. And so we might as well get on with confession and with absolution before him. The second teaching is this. As we look at this first uh, verse, what does God do? It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He sent someone to pursue him. So we need to understand that God pursues sinners in love. We spent a lot of times in, in Romans last year, the book of Romans. We went through the entire book. And in the very beginning of that book, we saw a, a glimpse of God's wrath. What does God's wrath look like? Well, in the book of Romans, the depiction of God's wrath is God giving us up. God saying, okay, deal with your sin yourself. Go your own way. That's a picture of God's wrath. Conversely, God's mercy looks like him coming to correct us, him coming to confront us. It looks like a shepherd going after a lost sheep. And so this is what is happening. God sends Nathan, his prophet, to go and pursue David the sinner in love. And that's what he's doing. The book of Hebrews tells us this, that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so again, in your own life, if you think about sins or issues you've had, things you've needed to reconcile with God about, how does it feel when come, someone comes and confronts you on your sin? If that has ever happened to you, you know immediately, it shields up, right? One of the things we need to train ourselves and our hearts to understand is when someone comes and pursues us in our sin, 
It is a marker of God's love for us. It is God saying, I care enough about you to turn your heart, to pursue you, and to free you from your sin. And so Nathan tells this story to David to try to capture his heart. He says this, uh, there in verse 2, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Look in verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Isn't it amazing? David has become blind and stupid. He doesn't understand that the story is about him. He thinks Nathan is coming to ask him for some advice. He doesn't understand that he's the man. He's the sinner. His sin has caused him to be blind and hardened. And this is one of the effects of sin, that sin, when it gets a hold of us, makes us judge other people while never repenting ourselves. We see sin in everybody, and we're willing and ready to condemn that sin, but we are slow to see our own shortcomings and slow to see our own need for God's mercy. Not only that, David sentences this man to death. Did you hear it? David calls for his own execution in this. He is severe and judgmental. But look what Nathan says in verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if this were too little, I would have added you to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And this is the next thing we should consider, that sin is despising God's word. That's what it is. Whenever we want to sin, what we do is we, uh, we demote God's word in our hearts and our minds so that we can listen to another voice. We know what God says. We know his Ten Commandments. We say, you know what, I don't think that applies in this situation. Or I think God wouldn't understand for this point of view. And we demote what God says, and we promote our own thoughts and our own minds. We listen to the voice of the internet. We listen to the voice of our televisions. We ignore what the Lord says. We prefer the voice of our own minds, our own hearts. Sin is despising what God has clearly said. It's always been this way. This was the original sin with Adam and Eve, 
Adam and Eve had been clearly given commands by God, but they despised the word of God and listened to the voice of the serpent. They despised the advice of the Lord and listened to their own counsel. And so it is for every sin that we commit. It's the same thing. Uh, We say to the God of creation, our own creator, I'm sure my way is right. And so I'm going to go forward with my thinking. And it happens in our hearts. But Nathan goes on. He says this in verse 9. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you and out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Here we have the terrible pronouncement of God's judgment that what he thought was done in secret, God would publish in front of everybody. That there really are no secrets to be had before our God. If that doesn't shake us up and and stir us a little bit, it should. We should consider carefully our God and his justice. But look what happens next. Look in verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Two things we're going to think about with this one verse. First of all, number four is true repentance agrees with God's judgments. Did you notice that? David, when he heard the judgments of God on his sin, he didn't start complaining. He didn't start whining. He didn't start crying. He didn't say, God, why are you so unfair? This is all your fault. He didn't say, God, you're being unreasonable. Why are you being so harsh? He just said, I'm guilty. I have sinned against God. He accepted the judgments of the Lord. It was in this time that David wrote Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one of the greatest penitential psalms, a psalm that helps our hearts to come before the Lord in repentance. Listen to these words as David explains what true repentance is like. It says this, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is a picture of repentance. Repentance doesn't begrudgingly uh, acquiesce to what God has said. Repentance agrees in the heart that God is right, that his judgments on our sin are correct and good. That's a changed and repentant heart. And then the next thing we'll consider is this, that God gives his mercy to repentant sinners immediately. Isn't that beautiful? Immediately after David repented, immediately after David said, I've sinned before the Lord, what was the next word from God? Mercy. Immediately. David is drowning in guilt. He's drowning in the consequences of sin. 
And Nathan was sent there to capture his heart, to bring him into honesty, and to pronounce God's forgiveness upon him. He didn't say, yeah, you better try to make up for this. You got a lot of work to do. I can't believe how shameful that is. He didn't hit him on the nose with a newspaper a few more times. Immediately he gave the mercy of God to this broken man. And so it is with us. When we come to God with a broken and a contrite heart, without delay, he gives us the mercy of Jesus. Why? Because that's exactly why Jesus was sent to this world. In fact, it's really amazing that God, through the illicit um, union of David and Bathsheba, brought forth Solomon. You know Solomon. But through Solomon's line came Jesus Christ. That God even went through this broken man and his broken family and all of this stuff and continued with his long-suffering love so that Jesus would come through him, the Messiah would be born, and he would take the sins of the world, including David's and including yours, upon himself. So that when we repent before our God, for the sake of Christ and the words of our Lord, we are forgiven. Because God has accomplished the work of salvation on the cross. It's finished. It's done. And it's freely given to all who ask for it. And so God's mercy is ready for us. It's ready to come into our lives. As soon as we turn our hearts to God without delay, he gives mercy to us. Now, as we go on to the next part of the story, we have to admit this actually gets really difficult. It's difficult to think about the punishments that God brings upon David. It gets a little harder than that. So in verse 14, it says this, Nathan says, Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So David, even though he has confessed his sins, even though he's been forgiven by God, there are still dire consequences in this life that fall upon him and his household. The sword does come into David's house. There's civil war that comes from his house. There's rebellion. And also this child dies. There's a dire consequence given because of this, because he utterly scorned the, wor uh, the word of God. And this is the next thought, that reconciliation with God removes eternal condemnation from us, but earthly consequences still remain. And we have to be cautious with this because here in this instance, we see that God through Nathan pronounced a specific judgment on David the king uh, because he publicly scorned his, his God. But in most cases, we do not have a prophet of God telling us when God is punishing us. Right? We don't have that. And so we can't assume that, okay, because I sinned when I was in my teens or in my 20s or because that thing I said last week, this suffering that I'm going through right now must be a punishment from God. We don't know that. We can't assume it. 
Jesus actually deals with this in John chapter 9 when he comes across a man born blind. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so they're assuming there's a divine punishment happening for this blind guy that either he did something or his parents did something and God is getting back at, them, at him. But Jesus says this, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, I don't think you're asking the right question. I don't think you understand. We don't have, when we don't have a word from God about what a particular suffering is, we can't assume it's a divine punishment for our past sins or our parents' past sins. What we are to do is, is to look again at the cross where God allowed the punishment of our sins to fall upon Jesus. We trust him with that. That being said, we can discern the natural consequences that happen because of our sin in this life. I'll give you an example. If you've had a falling out with your family, or if you have known a falling out to happen somewhere in your family tree, where tempers got hot, uh, words were exchanged, maybe it came to blows, and suddenly those people were not talking to each other anymore. And say that one person is confronted by God and his word, and his heart is softened and turned toward God, and he's reconciled with the living God. He knows, hey, I lost my temper. I messed that up. It was my fault. The other person had something to do with it, but I had a lot to do with it too. And so he repents of that. Does that being reconciled with God and receiving that forgiveness magically make that situation just get better? Of course not. It does remove his eternal consequence. He's reconciled to the living God. He's not going to receive the punishment upon that sin from God. Jesus took it in his place. Hallelujah. But according to those others, uh, there is still sorrow. There's still work to be done. There is still brokenness. And that kind of helps us turn the page toward being reconciled with other people. As reconciled people, we then go and reconcile. And we become humble advocates for the mercy of God, hoping that we can be reconciled with those people that we have harmed. And that's our, our final thought tonight, is that reconciliation with God accepts discipline and looks to a future hope. Uh, if you have your Bible open, I'm going to read just a little further uh, in this story to see how it ends. Uh, it says in verse 15 that the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and that child became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child and fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. 
Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing you've done? You've fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Notice the humility that David displays. Again, he's not angry. He knows God's judgment will come, but he still throws himself on the mercy of God. He knows that God is merciful and he says, maybe he will be merciful to this child. And then when God's judgment happens in his life, he still goes to worship. He worships the God that had brought this both forgiveness and judgment upon him. He then looks to the future hope that he has. He says, there's some wounds that won't be healed in this life and some consequences of sin that continue in our days. But there will be a day when I will go to be with my son. So he puts his hope in the future that Jesus is bringing in the resurrection. And so it is again with us. If we are reconciled to the living God, and we have those people in our lives, those relationships that are still broken, sometimes those wounds go deep. And while we want to use God's grace and mercy to try to reconcile with people around us, Sometimes it's not going to happen in this life. And so what do we do in that case? We look to the resurrection. And we look to that one who can make all things new and all things right again. And that's where we put our hope. When we see David and the way he humbled himself before God after Nathan confronted him on his sin, it gives us a template to think about our own reconciliation. And the prayer for us tonight as we walk away from from this time in the scriptures is that we would be eager to repent, especially of those grievous sins that do much damage in our life, that we might escape the consequences of our sin and that we might flee to the God who is eager to forgive and restore us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask that you would send your spirit down upon us and give us hearts that are filled with truth, that we can see with clarity and the clarity of your word, uh, the reality of our sins. Help us, Lord, to eagerly repent of them, to get rid of them, to confess them, and to receive the forgiveness that you have given, that we might be spared and that our families, our communities might be healed. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.